disclosure, next Sunday our um, missionary speakers will have the Fletchers. You know, that's the missionary family that we support. Uh, they were missionaries to Columbia. Uh, some things have changed in their mission, and they will be presenting to us again uh, sort of where they're at now in uh, the mission work that they're doing. And so they'll be giving us an update there. Uh, and then also, full disclosure, I have a cousin who will be with us. His name is Caleb, Caleb Crotz. And uh, Caleb's dad is Dean, and Dean is my first cousin. And uh, he's a couple years older than me, uh, not, uh, his dad is. And um, anyways, uh, I never really have known Caleb. A uh, couple of times met him, but he is family. And uh, he and his wife have been serving the Lord in Africa at an orphanage and teaching. And they've adopted a beautiful little African girl. And they too have just had a baby like three weeks ago. And uh, they're going to be here. So it, it should be a good day. I look forward to, to you guys meeting them. And they'll be sharing what God's doing in and through their life. And uh, anyway, I think you'll be very encouraged with what you have to hear and see uh, next Sunday. So plan on being here. Take your Bibles. Let's go to 1 John. 1 John, we uh, had kind of a, uh, a Valentine message last week that was a two-parter. Been talking about the love of God. And uh, the title of this series is Love Begins and Ends with God. Love begins and ends with God. This is 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And let's go ahead and turn our hearts and attention to the reading of the scriptures. And we'll start in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And this is from the New American Standard Bible. So if you would please follow along in the reading of God's word. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He's given us of His Spirit. We've seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. 
Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you will make your truth known to us, that our hearts, our minds will be open to receive this truth. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would search our heart and reveal to us our own sinful heart. Lord, if there be any bitterness in the heart of anyone listening, watching, I pray you would pluck that root of sin out. Lord, when we look at the cross of Calvary, when we look to the person of Jesus Christ, we see love on full display. And so help us to love in like manner because you first loved us. And so we thank you for this opportunity this morning we have to turn our hearts and our attention to you that we might better understand what it means to love God and love one another. And we'll give you the praise as we ask this in Jesus' name. And for His name's sake we pray. Amen. You recall last week we began to unpack this portion of Scripture. The outline was simple. Love begins with God, verses 7 to 8. Love comes from God, verses 9 through 16. And love ends with God, verses 17 through 21. So we kind of made it halfway through this, and so we want to kind of just recap for you real fast. We talked about how love begins with God. We said, therefore, because love begins with God, therefore we should love one another. That's where it originates. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been born again. For those of you here that know the Lord, you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, Therefore, since love begins with God, therefore we should love one another. It's evidence that you're born of God and that you know God. Remember we talked about how 1 John is sort of a litmus test. 1 John is a great book if if, if you want to kind of get the assurance of uh, examining yourself to see if you're in the faith. 1 John's a great book to read through. In fact, oftentimes this is one of the first spiritual diet plans I'll put a new Christian on. I'll say, hey, you, you know, someone who's come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, read 1 John as you begin to kind of walk with the Lord. Examine yourself. See if you're in the faith kind of thing. And so, and it's not just for a new believer. This, in fact, is a great uh, go to the physician and get a checkup, right? You know, God is our, our Christ is our ultimate physician, and so we need to check in with the doctor sometime, right? Amen, Carlton? So, you know, we, we, we need that checkup, right? And so we need a spiritual checkup. 
And, and 1 John helps us. And so one of the things he's saying here in this portion of Scripture, therefore, since God is love and, and, and love begins with God, we should therefore love one another. This is evidence that you're born of God. You've been born again. That's evidence. Proof in the pudding. Right? Look at the orange tree. You know it's an orange tree? Because there's oranges on it. There should be love that comes forth from us believers. This is evidence that you are born of God and that you know God. We also talked about, uh, again, this is the gospel, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, love is always in action. You, you can't have love and not have action. Love demonstrated. Love on display. You look to Christ. You look to the cross of Calvary and you see love in full display. Uh, Romans 5, 8 uh, talks about that God demonstrated His love toward us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, that's love. That sinful man separated from the holiness of God, yet God still chose to send His one and only Son, to pay for my penalty and your penalty. We were enemies. We were enemies behind enemy lines. And yet God's love on full display goes into that territory of sinful man and takes upon Himself, though He knew no sin, He took our sin and was willing to pay the price for our sin. That's love. Oh, you love your family? Of course you do. You love your friends? Of course you do. But God loved his enemy. That was you and me. James makes it clear. Look, to, to be a friend of the world is to be at enmity with God. We talk about this each and every week. Guys, our, our sin separates us from God. We are depraved. We are fallen. And Christ is the only one who can bridge the gap. And that's love on display. Love comes from God. So... I asked this question last week. What will you do in response to God's love? Again, love has action. So what's your action? What's your action point, right? How are we displaying that evidence in our life as followers of Christ? Is love on display in your life? Are we loving one another? If you're born of God and you know God, it should be evidence in your life. That love should transform us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Is there bitterness in your life? Are you just not letting go of some things? Well, preacher, you just don't know what was done to me. You just don't know how that person treated me. You just don't... You're right, I, I don't know. But I know one who does know. And yet he was willing to take the sin he knew about you and nail it to a cross and pay for it in his blood. He was willing to lay down his life for us. Who am I, a sinful man, not being willing to extend grace and forgiveness to those who sin against me? When a holy God, perfect God, was willing to forgive me and pay my penalty on my behalf, even though I was his enemy. Guys, this is love in action. Love should transform us. Jesus taught this. You've heard it said, hate your enemy. I said, he says, love your enemy. 
Pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. You've got someone that you're just struggling with letting forgiveness be displayed in that relationship. Guys, that will eat you up. You're in your own prison. You've got to come to the cross of Calvary and you've got to be willing to lay that sin down and receive the grace that you need to apply that grace to the relationship that you're, that you're struggling with. Only God's grace can do that. And we see that again at the cross. Love transforms us. It was this quote last week. I talked about how God loves us the way we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. I mean, what a great quote. You see, again, we live in a world where um, you hear the love of God preached and taught a lot, but it's this syrupy, sweet love, right? It's that greasy grace, you know, we just kind of slip into heaven. You know, it's, it's, it's not real love. You hear this word thrown around a lot by the world. Oh, if you love me, you accept me the way I am. Wait a minute. Does, does God want to just accept us and leave us the way we are? No, God's love, he, yeah, He loves us where we're at. He's willing to meet us where we're at, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. Repentance and belief is a twine that cannot be broken in the Christian faith. If God says something is sin, He loves you enough that He desires to transform you and change you and remove you from that sin. The world doesn't get this. The world wants to say, hey, you just need to accept me for who I am. Newsflash. That may be who you are, but you were born dead in your trespasses and sin. And God loves you way too much to let you stay in the pigsty. His desire is to give you life and give it abundantly. His desire is to transform you from the inside out to begin to produce fruit into your life. Not the fruits of the flesh, but fruits of His righteousness. And so, again, we need to make sure that we're defining love biblically. Not by what uh, the latest uh, talk show host is telling us that love is. Or the latest celebrity, be they Christian or not. We don't get our theology from movies and celebrities. We get our theology from the Bible. Amen? And if God has said something is sin, it's sin. Whether you feel a certain way or not is irrelevant. It comes down to the same thing it came down to in the garden. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your feelings and the whisper of the enemy? Or are you going to believe the facts from a holy God who loves you and has demonstrated that love for you? I'm going to choose to stand firm on the authority of God's Word. And if none go with me, still I will follow by God's grace. By God's grace. And so we need to be reminded of that. Love should transform us. And so we can't say that I love God and still hate my brother. That's, that's just not possible. And so we need to examine ourselves. Where am I at in this? Maybe I need to have a visit with the Lord at the foot of the cross. Love comes from God. Therefore, live through Him. 
not only should knowing that love begins with God and therefore uh, we need to love one another, we also recognize that love comes from God and therefore we must live through Him. We are objects of His love. That's found in verse 10. We also ought to love. Born-again people ought to love. This is where we left off last week. And so let's see if we can kind of begin to pick up from here as we look at the rest of this passage of Scripture. I want to, with this thought in mind, I want to share with you a quote from, from John Piper. Listen to this quote if you would. He's writing here in regards to the text. And he's speaking about the Apostle John. He says, so in John's mind, the greatest manifestation of God's love is that God sent His Son. John says that twice in verses 9 and 10. The aim of that sending, he says, was to be the propitiation for our sins. That's what makes the sending to be love. That's what makes the sending to be love. And what is propitiation? It means that He came to bear our punishment for sin and thus be the one who removes the wrath of God from us. Think of it. This means that it was God's love that sent His Son to bear God's just penalty and to take away God's just wrath. The greatest manifestation of the love of God is God's unilateral action to satisfy His own wrath. And the way the Son does this is mentioned in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. That's how we know love. Jesus laid down His life for us. So the Son became our propitiation by laying down His life for us, dying for us. And John says, this is the manifestation of God's nature. This is the way God is. That's the way God is. Is is that who we are? Is that the way we are? That transforming grace should be a part of our life. It should be an evidence in our life that we too are willing to lay down our life for one another. And so, love begins with God. Love comes from God. And so, I continue on with this thought. Piper also, again, I'll put this quote up on the screen. God's seed is in us as a believer, born-again believer. Okay, If you're not a born-again believer, you're dead spiritually. You need the Spirit of God to awaken you. But if the Spirit of God dwells within you, God's seed is in us. God's Spirit is in us. God's nature is in us. God's love is being perfected in us. You see, that's the point of sanctification. You and I should be growing more and more into the image of God. That's why we come to church, guys, to get equipped to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay? This this fertilizes our soul, so to speak. It it helps us to be nourished and built up in the faith. 
We, we take in the Word of God. We feed on the Word of God. We thirst and we hunger for the Word of God. And so the Spirit of God, the new nature that's in us as born-again believers, begins to feed like a newborn babe desires milk. <laughs> right? they got to grow. they got to grow. They need that to grow. Christian, you need this to grow. You need the Word of God to grow. And so we need to be, you know, crying for it. Right? Our soul ought to be screaming for it when we're hungry. Are you hungry? We should be. Spiritually speaking, we should be. And the more we feed, the more we grow. And eventually we move off of that milk. And, and so God's love is being perfected in us. It's not that we're perfect. It's that it's growing. It's maturing. We're becoming more mature. We're growing up. Something's wrong if the baby never ever grows. Right? They suffer malnutrition. They're not going to grow properly. But as a child begins to grow, we eventually learn to crawl. Right? Little Mitchell eventually is going to be crawling. And then before you know it, mama and daddy going to be chasing and that baby's going to be running. Right? And before you know it, going to be out here playing in our football league. Right? So, guys, guess what? We too, spiritually speaking, should be growing, maturing. Crawling, walking, running. And so this is what John is saying. He's saying, look, there's some evidence. You want to know, examine yourself. These are some things that should be marking your life. These are some things that should be and shouldn't be. This is part of our spiritual diet. So, again, love comes from God. Therefore, live through Him. Think about this. Look at that verse 9 if you would. Look at that verse 9 again. Because I want us to, to, to fully understand what's happening here. Um, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. Now notice this last part of this verse. Because I want you to think about this passage with me. Think, think, tune in, look at it. Is... In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. Here's the purpose. Underline, circle this, right? Purpose. Here's the purpose. Jesus came into the world, right? This is the purpose. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him that we might live through Him. You see, God's desire in sending Christ into the world is that you would not remain dead in your trespasses and sin, but that you would receive by faith the life that He offers. That's why He became a propitiation for our sin. He became a substitute for your sin. He became a substitute for my sin. A righteous payment that could satisfy the very wrath of God because you and I were as natural men and women born into the world. The wrath of God is abiding, ready to fall on us. But God's not willing that any should perish. His desire is not that anyone would perish, but that they would all come to repentance. The problem is man loves his sin, and he's unwilling to come to the light. He loves darkness rather than light. And so this, think of it this way. There's like this, this, this canopy of wrath that's just building up more and more weight, more and more weight, more and more weight, and eventually pff, it's going to bust. And that wrath and that judgment is going to fall upon the world. It's going to fall upon mankind. 
And the only thing holding back that wrath is the very grace of God. He's long-suffering toward us. Again, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that's why He puts His love on full display at the center of time and says, you want to know how much I love you? Look how much I love you. And then if you will by faith turn from that sin and call out to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, He promises you salvation. He will redeem you. He will create within you a new heart. You can be born again from above. The Spirit of God will set up residence in your heart and seal you, seal you with the promise of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Never to be separated from the presence of God again. But He didn't come just to save you. If if that would have been the case, you and I would have gone to heaven the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ. His desire is that not only would you be saved, but that you would be transformed. And that He would be able to put on full display into the world around you the love of Christ. He desires to work in you and through you for His name's sake, for His glory. That others might come to know the goodness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. And so the purpose and point was not just to... Uh, manifest His Son into the world so that you could be saved. And though that is it, His desire is also that you would live through Him. Are you living through Him today? Are you living through Christ today? Is Christ living through you? Maybe it's a better way of saying it. The Word of God says it very clearly. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Therefore, we should show His love. Look at verse 12. We should show His love, church. This should be evidence. Again, no one has seen God at any time. If we love, if we love one another... God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. Okay? So again, um, consider this quote from David Goosen. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is power. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is popularity. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is passionate feelings. But the greatest evidence of God's presence and work is love. Where God is present and working, there will be love. See, nobody's seen the Father, all right, at any time. God is spirit, right? But you know how people will see God? through you and through me. Again, the purpose is that we might display the love of Christ. That you and I would be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ into the world. And so we must, therefore, we must live through Him. The only way they're going to see the love of the Father is through your example and my example. And if we're not putting forth that example, if we're not displaying that type of evidence in our life because we can't get over our anger, we can't get over our indifferences, we can't get over our bitterness, guys, why in the world would this lost, dying world ever want what you and I have? 
Because all they would see is some old curmudgeon and, and, and bitter busybody, whatever. Guys, that's not what we need to be displaying as the body of Christ. This is how the world will know you, your love for one another. You're right, I don't know what's been done to you, but do you know what we've done to God? Do you realize that the same depravity, this will give you some context, the same depravity that was in the world's worst, we usually think Hitler, right? When we think like the world's worst, Hitler comes to mind. Do you realize the same sin nature was in you, was in me? The same sin, wicked, black heart was in you and was in me. You say, well, I never murdered anybody. You hated your brother, you've committed, you've murdered. It doesn't matter if I drop the vase and it breaks in two pieces or 200 pieces. It's broken. You and I are broken in our sins. We're guilty. By the way, unless you're feeling a little self-righteous this morning, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Yes, you are. So am I. In our natural man, we are. Because James says to offend God in one point is to be guilty of breaking all points. Because the sin is against an eternal being. And therefore, the only acceptable punishment is an eternal punishment. That's why it took an eternal sacrifice to atone, to be a propitiation. That's why God has to send the Son. If God the Father does not send the Son, you and I remain dead in our spiritual trespasses. We are still in our sin. And so, again, if the world's going to see the love of Christ, we must look to the cross of Calvary first, and then through the new birth, you and I can begin to repent of that sin, begin to grow in Christ's likeness, to be transformed from the inside out, that the love of Christ might be on full display in our life. Love comes from God. Therefore, live through Him. We shall stay in His love. If we live through Him, we shall stay in His love. Notice if you would here in verses 13 through 16. By this, we know that we abide in Him. And He in us... Because He has given us of His Spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. This word abide means to be held. It means to be kept continually. That's good news. Aren't you glad to know this morning that your salvation is not contingent upon you keeping it? Because I don't know about you, but if it was contingent upon me keeping it, (laughs) I done lost it. Right? Right? John is reminding us, guys, that salvation is a gift of God. It's by the grace of God. It's unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to earn it. Going to church, cleaning up your life, doing things better, that's not going to get you to heaven. That's self-righteous works. That's you trying to, in your own strength, impress God. 
Now again, we talked about this last week. That's like putting perfume on a pig. It still stinks, right? You're not going to clean up. God knows your sinful thoughts. He knows my sinful heart. He knows what we've done. You and I need a new life. You heard that phrase, get a life? I think I did a sermon on that a while back. Check out the series, get a life, right? We need a life because we're dead. And the only life that you and I can receive is Jesus Christ's life. And to as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become the children of God. You see, our righteousness is not going to come through self-help and self-effort. Our righteousness is going to come from above. And that's the grace of God. That's what was manifest into the world. That's the love of God that was given to you and me. And when we by faith repent and receive and believe on Christ as our only means of salvation and righteousness, He says, I got another promise for you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and I will seal you with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So you're sealed. Again, a king would seal a letter, letter and he would you know, put his imprint upon that, and, and, and no one was able to open that because it had the king's seal on it. God has placed His seal on you. The king's seal, the king of kings and the Lord of lords has said, this one is mine. I purchased them with my precious blood at the cross of Calvary and they've put their faith and hope and trust in me and they will be mine until the day of redemption. Guys, here's a good way to understand it. I know you've heard me say this before, but for some of you maybe new and you've not heard this one. Jeremy Varner was born into the Varner family. My dad is Jesse Varner. He was Jesse Varner. Like it or not, that's my family, right? Whatever family you were born into, like it or not, that's your family. There was nothing Jeremy Varner would do that would ever change that relationship. Jesse Varner will, would always be my daddy. He, he, he just always will be. He is my biological dad. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. I am born into his family. Now, I did a lot of things in my life that damaged potentially fellowship with my dad, right? So your fellowship, hear me now, can be damaged. But when you're born again, when you are born again from above, when you receive Christ, you become a child of God. Once you are in the family of God, you can't be undone from the family of God. When you're born again, you can't be unborn again. Right? When you become a child of the king, a daughter of the king, you're in the family. Now, you might do some stuff, trip and stumble in sin, that's going to damage the fellowship, but it's not going to change your relationship. This is a very important truth. we got a lot of... Uh, I'm not trying to pick on uh, too many people around here, and, but there's a lot of denominations out here, and some of you know what I'm talking about because you've come out of them, that actually teach you can lose your salvation. Oh, heaven forbid. That's, that's terrible. I mean, you talk about living on pins and needles. I mean, wow. First off, let me say it loud and clear. Nothing, absolutely nothing can you do to earn your salvation. Why would you think there's something you can do to lose your salvation? And that implies that if you could do something to lose your salvation, then you would have to do something to get it back. 
Or to say that, well, now preacher, you know, Satan can pull you out of the hand of God. Can he? So you're telling me Satan's more powerful than God? Well, now look, God can kick you out of the family. But wait a minute, that would make God a liar. Because God has said, I will seal you with the promise of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And we got tons of passages, right? In fact, not in my notes, but let's go here. Hold your spot, flip over there to uh, 1 John chapter 5, and let's look at verse 13. You want to know what the theme of 1 John is? Here's the whole point before we start reading it. Listen to me for a second. The whole point of 1 John, the whole reason this letter is being given, the whole reason he's sending this letter out to the churches, this right here, this verse right here is the theme verse. This is what you hang your hat on. Summing it up, he says, hey, you want to know what this letter is about? This is what this letter is about right here. Pay close attention. This is what this letter is all about. Look at 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. What things? The things in this letter. The things in 1 John. He's saying, look, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may hope. Is that what it says? No. That you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know, Christian, you have eternal life. Not that you hope or I might. or No, he says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Amen? Guys, that's good news. Wow, how freeing. How freeing to know that it's not based on my performance, that I don't have to be good enough because I can't be good enough. But Jesus Christ's propitiation, His atonement on my behalf is more than good enough. His grace is sufficient. His righteousness is the coat I need to be clothed in. Thank you, Jesus. That's why He's worthy of my life. That's why He's worthy of your life. That's why we should be living through Him. Because He's worthy. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our thoughts. He's worthy of our time. He is worthy. Therefore, live through Him. We shall stay in His love. We abide. We're kept. I can see some of you still aren't convinced. Well, let's, don't take my word for it. Let's go to the Word of God. Notice if you would, again, here in Romans 8. And we know, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now again, you can't love unless God first loves you, Right? We love God because He first loved us. So as a believer, we know, right? Continue on verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. His plan for you, Christian, is to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called... He also justified. And those, these whom He justified, He also glorified. I love the fact that that's kind of in past tense because in God's plan, it's history. It's done. You are sealed and saved. Did you get that? It's His story. It's history. It's done. It is finished. 
You're sealed to the day of redemption. So let's continue on. What else does it say? What then shall we say to these things? Good question, Paul. What am I supposed to make of this? If God is for us, who's against us? Time out. If God is for us, who can go against that? He's the creator of all things. He's the uncreated one. Everything else is created. He's the greatest, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who spoke and the universe leaps into existence. If He is for you, who can be against you? Who will bring, verse 30, all right, let's, let's go back. He who did not spare his own, all right, back it up. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? I mean, if you see the love of, of Christ on full display, why would he not help you in anything else? I mean, for crying out loud, there can't be a greater love in action than that. And yet he says that, that how much more, he, he, not also with him freely give us all things. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will bring a, a charge against you? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? He's praying right now for you. How awesome is that? Who will separate us? Here you go, Christian. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Guys, this isn't our world. You want to know why bad things happen? By the way, not to good people, because we're not good. There's none righteous, no, not one. But you want to know why bad things happen to God's people? Well, if it happened to our Lord and Savior, why would you not think it would happen to you? If they hated Him, they're going to hate you. And yet Christ was simply trying to love them in truth. All we're trying to do is love a lost and dying world in truth. And we love them enough not to compromise that truth, but to share that truth, whether they receive it or not. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities... By the way, Satan's an angel, in case any of you didn't know that. He's a fallen angel, right? He was the, the, the number one angel there for a while. So again, God's truth. Satan can't take you out of his hand. Keep reading. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Everything else was created. So, because we're simple folks and we're going to mess it up, Paul's saying, listen to me loud and clear. 
nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Nothing means nothing. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. When you are born again, you are sealed until the day of redemption. Do not listen to the heretical teaching that you can lose your salvation. Now listen, you better listen to what 1 John's saying. You better listen to what Paul says in Corinthians. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because we got a lot of people walking around who are the walking dead. They're zombies. They think they're born again and they're not. Because they went to church or they repeated a prayer, but they've never, been, they've never experienced the new birth. They've never been awakened to the things of God. And, and so you need to examine yourself. Again, 1 John's a great book. Let the Spirit of God convict you and bring you to repentance and faith. Is, do I truly know God? Does God truly know me? And, and, and again, these things should become evident in your life. We ought to be able to examine our life and see if there's fruit on the tree. We don't do good works for salvation, but good works should flow from salvation. Right? Continue reading Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You get to verse 10. You're a workman created, right? In Christ Jesus unto good works. Unto good works. And so if the Spirit of God is within you, then there should be evidence. And so what we do say is, Preacher, well, so-and-so used to love the Lord and used to go, now they're off in sin and they're living in sin. Again, what does 1 John say? If you're practicing sin... You find this again in Corinthians. No drunkard, no liar, no... you know, And he gives us a long list of people. And then he says, hey, and so were some of you. So be careful, right? We don't want to throw stones, right? But we're going to use the Word of God to be our final authority. And he says, look, some of you were this way, but they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Apart from repentance and faith, without being born again, and if we're born again, there should be a new nature within us. That doesn't mean you don't war against the flesh. Of course you do. And I promise you will live a defeated life if you do not abide in Christ. If you don't abide in His Word, you will never be victorious. So I think the problem is, and what we need to be asking people, is if you're truly born again. And if not, then you need to examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Perseverance of the saints. He who's begun a good work in you, he will complete it until the day of redemption. There, again, that's not to say I don't fall. doesn't mean I, I, I don't mess up. Of course I do. It's just like a baby. Any of you have been in the nursery, you see a kid who's just starting to walk, right? What do they do? Boom! You know, they're down for the count. Oh, got to pick them up again. You know, boom! They're down again, you know? And, and we're kind of coming along behind them, helping them walk, right? And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be helping them walk, right? Church, we're supposed to be helping them walk, spiritually speaking. But what's happening is that too often in America, we've, we've, we've birthed some new children... They're born again, and then we just leave them alone. And I promise you leave those babies long enough in the nursery without any help, whew, it's going to start to stink after a while. And that's, what, you know, that's what's happening, I think, in the American church too often times. We're kind of smelling a little bit, guys. We need our diapers changed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Spiritually speaking. And so we begin to grow we must grow. Love begins with God. Love comes through God, but love ends with God. Notice if you would here in the closing section of Scripture. Notice what you see here in verse uh, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. 
Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he's not seen? In this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Therefore, lean on him. Right? We, we know, therefore, we must love one another, because love begins with God. We know love comes from God, right? Therefore, we need to live through him. Love ends with God. Therefore, we must lean on Him. You see, I can't do this Christian walk in my, in my strength. You can't do this in your strength. You're right, i got family members too. They're very unlovable. And the only way I'm going to love them is through Christ's strength. Hey, guess what? Your pastor's pretty unlovable at times too, right? I can be a little cranky without... I'm like Dennis Grubby. I don't get my tenth cup of coffee in the morning. You might not want to be near me. <laughs> Guys, this is, this is who we are, Right? We recognize there's two natures at war in us as believers. I'll give you a pass if you'll give me a pass. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. But it should be a, a, an excuse to say, hey, love covers a multitude of sins. By the way, those, th those aren't sins. That's just personality quirks. How much more should the love cover that? Oh, but man, you let somebody get under your skin. You let somebody, you know, just maybe not have things in common with you. And all of a sudden, we're arch enemies. Wow, wow. That's terrible. Therefore, we need to lean on Him. We must lean on Him. You know, we're an independent church, though. I think we ought to change the name to Dependent Church because we don't want to be independent of the Spirit of God. We don't want to be independent of the Lord, right? We need to be dependent on the Lord. We need to be dependent on God. Amen? Love makes us complete. Again, that word uh, perfected in us, it's the idea of completing us. It's the idea of maturing us. We feed on the Word of God. We let the Spirit of God work in our heart and it begins to mature us. It begins to grow us. I'm going to run through these quick because time's getting away. Love gives us confidence. Again, look at the second part of that verse 17. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You see, there's coming a time when, when God will separate. Christ will return. In the second coming, He will separate the wheats and the tares, Right? There's coming a time. We recognize again uh, that the church awaits the rapture of, of, of the church, right? That we await the Lord's coming. But there's also coming a final day where we won't stand in the judgment in that we're determining heaven or hell. That's already been decided at the cross. Jesus said it's finished. But we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ in the Bema seat. That's for rewards. And ladies and gentlemen, third place goes to, like you heard this morning, right? Allison Varner. Second place goes to... Mark Barnett, first place, Matthew Lefko, woo! You know, whatever the case may be, spiritually speaking, we'll, we're going we're gonna to have that day of, of reward and loss of reward because of what we've done through Christ or like, the lack thereof for Christians. For the unbelieving world, that's going to be the books are open and the final punishment, the final judgment where they're cast into the lake of fire which burns forever and ever. And that's a real judgment. And so we're either going to be in the storm when it comes. Oh, I should have had an illustration, man. I should have had an umbrella. Imagine my umbrella here. It's big. It's covering me. The storm is raging. Man, we had some rain last week. We're going to have some rain this week. So I'm thankful for this big beach umbrella I'm under, right? The love of Christ covers me. 
And I won't suffer in the day of judgment because He's taken that wrath. He's taken that upon Himself. And His protection, He is a protector. He is the almighty shield. He is my buckler. He is my refuge. And I'm safe in the storm. Right? Love gives us confidence. I don't have to fear that. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear that judgment because Christ has atoned for me. He has covered me. He's covered you if you're a believer in Christ. Love casts out fear. Can I encourage you this morning, if you're gripped by fear, whatever that fear may be, whatever your anxieties are, whatever is it that, that just strangles the life out of you, trust in Him. Cast your cares, your anxieties upon Him. Because He cares for you. And, and I know it sounds trite, and I'm not trying to, to, to sound trite, guys, but I'm, I'm trying to share the truth in love. The reality is either His grace is sufficient or it's not. His grace is sufficient. Now, don't believe the lie. I know we all say this sometimes, and it's not really true. God won't put on you more than you can handle. Yes, He will. <laughs> he does that so you'll depend on Him and stop depending upon yourself. Because that's when we're at our strongest, when we're at our weakest, right? So it's okay, guys. It's okay. Abide in Him. Love casts out that fear. When I rest in the loving arms of my Heavenly Father, I'm at the safest place I can be. God wants you to understand that kind of love. Love commands us. And again, look at this last section here, 19 and 21. Love commands us. Let, let me scroll through these. I, I want to go to the end because it's, 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 it's go time here. Um, look at this quote. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. His love is unconditional, impartial, everlasting, infinite, and perfect. Richard Halverson. I mean, again, this should give us great encouragement, guys, in the area of love. And so we see, again, love ends with God. Love gives us confidence. Uh, we, we talked about that. Mature Christians can have confidence because fruit is evident in their lives. Love casts out fear. Uh, this is, look at Spurgeon's quote. This is a fact for every true follower of Jesus. There's no exception to this rule. If a man loves not God, neither is he born of God. Show me a fire without heat. Then show me re regeneration that does not produce love to God. If you've been regenerated, you've been born again, you can't help but give off the heat. You can't help but give off the love of God. Amen? Amen. Again, it's not perfected, but it's in a process. It ought to be growing. Let's put a few more logs on that fire. Right? It, 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 look, it, it, if, that, if that fire's dwindling, I can tell you part of the problem, you get a fire going, you remove a stick, you take a coal away from it, over here by itself it's going to begin to go out. Where's that coal? Where's that piece of wood going to burn the most and the brightest and the hottest? It's going to be with the stack of logs that are burning. Guys, the local church is a place where you need to be amongst other logs and coals burning for Jesus. And that'll produce heat. And that's going to begin to rage. That's going to begin to grow. But you isolate yourself. You, oh, well, you know, I, and we got excuse Christians all day long. We'll justify not coming to the household of faith. And this is the problem. You want to know why you're waning in your walk? It's because you're out there by yourself trying to burn all alone. And you're sure to burn out. We need each other. So that love commands us. Again, love God. 
That's what it commands us. Notice verse 19. We love God because He first loved us. It commands you to love one another. And we're able to do it because He first loved us. You want to know how to do it? Look to Him. You want to know how to love that unlovable person? Look to Him. I can't do it in my strength. You're right. Do it in His strength. We love God because He first loved us. And when you're loving that unlovable person, it's helping you to understand the very love of Christ because that's how you were in His eyes. And yet He still demonstrated His love toward you while you were in your sin. He died for you. We must love. It's a command. We must love our brother. Verses 20 and 21. We must love our brother also. Beyond all these things, put on love. Colossians 3. Remember we went through this when we studied Colossians? Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's the perfect bond of unity. Church, we need to be united in the love of Christ. God's love is spontaneous in the source, universal in scope, long-suffering in intensity, self-sacrificing in character, aggressive in action, and constant in duration. Thomas Griffith. Conclusion. You want to know the best way to sum this up? Let Scripture interpret Scripture. I took this one from the NLT. Listen to the, how this just flows. The NLT, New Living Translation. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of, of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith, that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud, or rude, does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and, and thought and, and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then, then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. 
three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Here's your application. Love begins with God. Love comes from God. Love ends with God. God is love, therefore love God. God is love, therefore love God and love your brethren. This can only be done by Him, through Him, in Him, and for Him. Let's pray. Father, apart from You, we are nothing. Apart from the love of Christ, we have nothing to boast or bring. But Your grace is sufficient. Lord, may we be dependent upon the Holy Spirit who seals us to the day of redemption. May we be dependent upon Your authoritative Word that tells us when our feelings don't match the facts, when our emotions lead us astray. May we anchor our soul and our thoughts and our well-being in the truth of Jesus Christ. May we look to the cross at Calvary to see love demonstrated on full display. And Lord, may you have your will and way in us and through us for your glory and our good. And we will give you the praise because we ask this in the name that is truly above every name. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for His sake we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. Again, don't forget this week's recruiting week. Go out and encourage some folks to come out next Sunday. Uh, don't forget to bring your covered dish. If you've got questions, see Tammy Norman. She'll be glad to answer any of those for you. And again, let's uh, be praying uh, and prepared as we come back in next week to give a special above and beyond offering to the missions fund. We're trying to establish a three to six month fully funded emergency fund for our missionaries. And so you can help towards that. Again, we don't rob Paul to pay Peter, but consider what God would have you do in uh, next week's offering. Again, thank you guys. Be blessed. We'll see you then.